0: All right. Hey everyone, this is At The Letters for Saturday, March 26, 2022. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, Arden, Zwelling, and I are in the same spot for the first time actually in a long time. We are here in Florida. Not sure how much you can tell, but we are outside uh, Clearwater Hotel. Very nice out. Good to be outside. Good to be talking some baseball. Arden, we've got a lot to get to, but it's good to be talking baseball. It's good to be in the same spot talking baseball. I mean, we've done that off mic many times
1: in the course of the last couple of years. But here we are in Florida for ATL. You're here, man. I have never been happier to see you here to work. Every day for the last week, I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to write a normal spring training story today. I'm going to write about this guy's like new pitch or that guy's swing change or so-and-so is in the best shape of their life. And inevitably this week, every day by about 10.30 a.m., it has gone completely to hell. It's kind of wild because we spoke a few days ago. And at that point, the
0: Blue Jays had already made the Matt Chapman move, but they had not acquired uh, Rymel Tapia. Pete Walker had not been arrested and charged for uh, DUI. They had not announced plans for a Rogers Center renovation. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff in there, but it's been actually a wild few days, even since then. So, I mean, you started this week of your stretch of coverage of spring training. It was pretty busy. And then since then,
1: there has been activity basically every single day. Contract renewals of Bo Bichette and Alec Manoa which was, like, it's a big thing in the industry. I don't know. Some fans maybe don't, like, necessarily appreciate that. Pretty big thing yeah. that happened there. Bo Bichette came out and uh spoke against the Blue Jays formula for uh, pre-arbitration salaries. Pretty significant thing as well. Uh We had a media tour of the new PDC in right. there, which, uh yeah, I think Hazel's got something on that coming out this weekend on uh, Blue Jays Central, so people are going to see that. But, yeah, we toured the PDC. So, all right, so where to start? I mean,
0: I think... Probably the elephant in the room here is the Pete Walker DUI. I think we can get to the Tapia trade, of course, talk some actual baseball, talk you know about what else you've seen, different players who have stood out to you. Um, but why don't we begin with the Pete Walker DUI as we sit here right now. This is Saturday evening. So less than 24 hours ago, Pete Walker, the Blue Jays pitching coach, was pulled over. Well, why don't you tell us the
1: details? Because you've been reporting on this. So, so what do <laughs> yeah. you got on Pete Walker? I've been talking to the sheriff's office yes, all day. You've been talking so, literally
0: to the sheriff's office.
1: All day, which, what, it's 9.30 p.m. right now. My yeah. day started at 7.30 a.m. So let's try to remember all this. Um, yeah, according to the Pinellas County uh, Sheriff's Department, yeah, Pete Walker, well, he was uh, arrested and booked a little bit after 12 a.m. on Friday morning, Thursday night. Allegedly going 82 in a 45, and that's miles per hour. So, kilometers per hour, that's like 130 in a 70, something like really fast, way too fast. Something along those lines. Yes. And then, uh, according to the affidavit, which I acquired, and according to um, the deputy who arrested him. Pete Walker failed several field sobriety tests, um, you know, blurry bloodshot eyes. Um, He refused a breathalyzer. According to the arrest report, breath smelled of of alcohol. And yeah, he was arrested, charged, booked, released around like 9.15 a.m. on Friday. And yeah, so reported that all day spoke to pete walker after the game i mean spoke to his generous listened to a statement from pete walker after the game and he admitted that he was involved in an incident apologized to the blue jays to the fans to his family um and yeah the official line from everybody in the organization charlie montoyo people had contacted the organization etc it's just been we're still gathering information not much more to say right now you know we Weren't there? This has not led to a conviction as of yet.
0: But if this is the way it unfolded, then extremely reckless put himself in danger, put others in danger.
1: Yeah, there's just no condoning that. It's disappointing. Yeah. Right? Like, put aside the fact that it's 2022 and we've all got a little computer in our pocket that will call you a ride. And yeah. Put aside the fact that he's well compensated and can afford to, like, put all of that aside. Like, I don't care what year it is, yeah. don't drink and drive. You are putting yourself and those around you in danger. It's really stupid and reckless. And yeah, if Pete Walker is convicted of this, really disappointing because, like, let's be forthright, you and I both know Pete Walker really well. Yeah. We interact with him during the season on a near daily basis, several times a week. We've gone to know him personally. Yeah. Um he's been really on these well. podcasts. Yeah, you know. At least once. So
0: really disappointing. I agree. I find it personally disappointing. I think it's objectively disappointing. I don't
1: have a ton more to say. You're a leader in the organization, too, is the other thing, right? Not that it would be excusable if he was, you know, and by the way, every spring, unfortunately, it seems like this happens at a camp somewhere across MLB often, right? Like it is uh, really disappointing that that's been the case numerous. He's not the first mlb affiliated person to get a catch a dui in arizona or florida at this time of year but yeah even if you are like 20 year old prospect or whatever it's completely inexcusable yeah p walker should be a leader in this organization he should be someone who's setting the standard for young people in this organization as well like the other thing i would say i know people they probably don't love the like vague milk toast statements that people make after this right Pete Walker came out like he wasn't taking questions from us I you know pushed Charlie with some questions but he wasn't having it he was just wanted to say the same thing over and over again but like Pete in particular was just going to make a statement and move on and I'm sure people are disappointed in the statement and wish they'd said more but the man's involved in an ongoing legal matter for him there's absolutely nothing to be gained from even saying anything at all really like the fact he even came out and stood in front of the camera like he could have hid and released a statement through the club that was even more milk toast, probably because he wouldn't have been saying it in front of the camera of lights like it just would have been manicured from whichever pr person put it together for him right so he actually came out and said that and like i do think that you can be really upset about what he did or is alleged to have done i should say you could be really upset about what he's alleged to have done and really disappointed but you can also be empathetic to the situation he's in the fact he's in an ongoing legal matter and there is supposed to be a presumption of innocence so i think you can be upset and empathetic at the same time i don't think those things are mutually exclusive true i mean
0: he's been charged um he's been arrested and yeah i think the problem is not with the statement the problem is with the actions whatever those are but on a I guess on a practical level,
1: he was with the team Saturday. Today. Correct? Yeah. He's been with the team since I've seen him in the clubhouse since he's been with the team. Yeah. Working. The plans were too, as I
0: understand it, based on what you've reported and what you know, the, some of the information the Jays have shared, that he would continue to be working with the team.
1: That's what Charlie said today. Um yeah, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. I haven't heard anything about discipline. I've asked the Jays officially, I asked Charlie. No word on any discipline. I suspect there won't be any like my personal opinion is that there would be grounds for a suspension here. I do not think he should lose his job, but I do think there's grounds for a suspension without pay. Look, MLB is aware of it and have been aware of it. I don't know if there's any action coming from them. Look, this is a long way off, but if Pete Walker were convicted, there could be an issue with getting into Canada. Right. And there are ways around that. Like there are exemptions to that where you can... Um, apply to be like a rehabilitated individual, and that's if you can convince the border that you know I'm not likely to commit another crime. Um, it was a one-time thing type of deal. You can also get like a temporary visitors visa permit or whatever they call it. And that's another way around it. There's ways around this, you know. And there are people who have been convicted of crimes in MLB who have entered Canada and played. So. There's ways around it, but that is another layer to this. But yep. that's a long ways off because D Walker's not been convicted of anything. He's merely been charged. For sure. Anything else on Pete? I think that about does it. Okay. Let's leave it
0: there. We'll come back with more. Can we talk about baseball. <laughs> yeah. Well, next, we? next on At the Letters, we'll get to the baseball <laughs> part of the discussion. We are back on At The Letters. Should say as well, thanks. Huge thanks to our producers here on the scene with us. Amal Delich and Nick Ondraud. They're doing great work. You will see it throughout the week. we got more coming as our At The Letters Florida tour continues here. Just getting started here. But, um, you know, Arden, the Jays, since we last spoke, I mean, the transactions continue. And, you know, as you and, and me and Shy have kind of been texting about this at times, It we've remarked at various points how it's almost like, the second week of December and the third week of spring training or the second week of spring training at once, like it's happening concurrently. So, yeah. you know, there's this Gritchick for Tapia trade. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of it?
1: Uh, it's interesting, right? Like, yeah, I don't know that you could have found somebody who is more different than Randall Gritchik <laughs> and Rymel Tapia. What I mean, you think about Gritchick is like, you know, big pop fly ball hitter, low OBP, I mean, he's got some speed, but not incredible speed. Tapia is, like, not a ton of pop. Um, although, like, I don't know, hits the ball pretty hard. But, like, you know, not a big power hitter. Yep. Hits the ball into the ground a lot. Ton of speed. Lefty, Gritchick, righty, obviously. Tapia's had better on base numbers. It's interesting to me. They're basically total opposites. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I think from a baseball standpoint, like set the money aside, I think, because Gritchuk makes more of it. There's some cash sent to Colorado to kind of even that side of things. And to
1: get the prospect too, I think. And they got a prospect. I think the money gets you the DSL MVP
0: as well. Exactly. Yeah, so that's another interesting wrinkle. But even if you just look at the two major leaguers, you got Gritchuk and you've got Tapia. And to me, if I'm the Colorado Rockies, I would much rather have Randall Gritchuk. I think the Rockies did a good job in this trade because yeah. he'll play every day. It's not something you say often. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. think the Rockies did a good job on this trade. Uh, it might be a first in <laughs> ATL history. But I really do. Like Grichik. honestly might hit 38 homers and like slug 540. And, you know, he's never going to be a huge average on base guy, but that's fine. So that can be a good move for them. And it can also be a good move for the Toronto Blue Jays who now acquire a player who's better suited to their roster. I mean, Tapia just hammers the ball into the ground like super tall and lanky. You know, really different physique and really different swing profile and offensive profile than what you're going to get from a lot of the Blue Jays players. But you know, he's kind of reminds me of like a, a tall and lanky Dominican Ben Revere, and Ben Revere was like a good player for this Blue Jays team the last time they were really good. People loved Ben Revere, and they probably loved him more than they kind of should have for how they good saw he was. like
1: the first the best two months of his career <laughs> yeah. though right him and go like a lot of guys on that track right? it's just I- like they saw the worst month of jonathan vr's career yes blue jays fans saw the best two months of ben revere's career they did and so i'm not promising blue jays fans ben
0: revere levels because you know uh he did play great in toronto in 2015 but i think that tapia can be really useful you know i think as a bench player I certainly don't think you want to give him 500 at bats in the American League East, but as a bench player who starts in left when Lourdes is DHing, starts in center when Springer's DHing, you know, he can pinch run for you, he can pinch hit for Danny Jansen. I think there's value there.
1: Like I like this trade for the Jays. So don't forget to take us back to Gritchik cuz I want to yeah. I want to like kind of tie a bow on the Gritchik era, but you remind me of something with Happier. Did you read? Actually, don't answer if you read what I wrote. Yeah, but I did. Did you? All yeah. right. So, did you see some of the numbers with Tapia? The sixty-seven percent ground ball rate. It's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. It's actually like it's borderline historic. Some of the numbers yeah. that like he, since two thousand
0: one or something since two
1: thousand one, the highest single season ground ball rate. Yeah, and it's nearly seventy percent, and it's not a small sample. It's a substantial full season sample. Like so, when this trade happened, right? Like I was like, all right. I don't know Tabia's numbers like front to back as a Blue Jays reporter, right? So I'm like, let me just, you know, dig in on some of these, pull up Fangrass, pull up Savant. And I was looking at them like, is this an error? Is there, has there been like a, you know, clerical error here? Is this a typo? His launch angle is negative 4.4 last season into the ground, which is quite literally like, into yeah. the ground. Negative 4.4. Remember when we were talking about Vladdy's launch angle? Yeah. And it was like you know, super low, but it was like seven to yeah. ten or something. Yeah. Negative four point four, dude. I wish I had it in front of me, but it's like over the last six seasons, there have been maybe seven guys who had a negative um launch angle. Like reading my story, it's in there. Like maybe seven guys. Who had a negative launch angle at all? And like two of them are pitchers, and none of them had the sample that Tapia did. But then the flip side of this is that if you go on Savant, you will see that he's like a 70th percentile max exit velo guy. Weird. Like hits the ball as hard as the top 30% of hitters in baseball. And then you look at his average home run distance. Look up this guy's homers last year. He hit like only six, but he friggin' parked these things. Like these things are gone. He has the same average home run distance in 2021 as Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. He has a higher average home run distance than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who we all watched hit like absolute missiles out of minor league parks last year. Yeah. It's so strange. And I wonder if, like, the Blue Jays are, see something in there where they're like, we can get this guy off the ground, get him in the air a bit more often, tapping into that exit velo a bit more. But then it's like, oh, hey, you know who hit the ball in the yeah. air with pretty good exit velo? Randall Friggin Gritchik. Maybe you should trade for that guy if that's what you want. So, like, is this guy's game not predicated on the ground ball and using his legs to beat the defense to first base? Like. And making contact, because if he starts trying to get the ball in the air a bit more and like make harder contact in the air, he's probably gonna swing and miss a bit more, right? Exactly.
0: And right now, he's a really tough guy to strike out. Like, I think it's 13%, something like that. Really low strikeout rate, league average, 25%, something like that. So he's half of that. Yeah. And yeah, you outlined it within the piece for sure. But like, it's
1: so strange, let
0: him do his thing. He's, but his thing
1: is so strange. His thing is like, I hit ground balls 70% of the time and, and I hit them straight
0: into the ground. But it's almost like, you know, like some relievers are are just specialists, right? And like they're loogies or they're slop innings eaters like the Sam Gavilios, you know? Or they're like the
1: guy that throws like 80% curveballs or yeah. something like that, right? And so Tappy yeah. is just
0: the hitter version of that. Yeah. You know, he's just the hitter version of someone who does really specific things. And there would be matchups for him. Like, especially against some lefties or, you know, if obviously if you need a three run homer, your anomalous home runs aside, like that's not the guy you want at the plate. And with the trade of Gritchick, the Jays actually kind of have an absence of power on their bench right now, depending on what you think of Greg Bird. So to me, he serves a purpose. He actually serves multiple purposes. And my question with this, and I don't know if you've had the chance to see him yet or even if he's appeared in games. I talked to him today. He's going to play on Sunday and tonight's Saturday. Right. So he'll be playing soon. But I'm curious to know how well he can play center field because I just have this suspicion. The Rockies didn't play him in center very much.
1: And I just had this suspicion that if he was a really good center fielder, they would have played him there. So he grew up playing center field, played it through the minors, hasn't played much in the majors. asked him about that today. He said, uh, playing center field to me is like eating rice and beans in my house. As you said, Dominican lad. So... Rice and beans, a staple in the the Tapia household, I'm sure. So, yeah, we're going to find out. You know what I want to know from you? Do you think the Blue Jays got better in this trade? Yeah. 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 Because they just have a more useful bench piece than Gritchuk was going to be. I think Randall Gritchuk starting outfielder is better than
0: Rymel Tapia starting outfielder, which is why I think the Rockies one yeah but I think Rymel Tapia bench player on a team with a lot of right-handed power which is where he is is better than Randall Grichuk, bench player on a team with a lot of right-handed power
1: it is really a mutually beneficial deal that's a good way to get back to Gritchuk actually like it's beneficial for the Rockies I agree beneficial for the Blue Jays beneficial for Randall Gritchuk oh yeah Randall Gritchuk was not stoked about what his playing time was going to be this year he made the organization aware of that. Like, he had a number of conversations with the front office about it. He's not a guy who does well looking over his shoulder, wondering about when his playing time is going to come. He's not a guy who does well with inconsistent plate appearances. Um, like He's a guy who just kind of needs that regular playing time and that rhythm to be his best, I think, in MLB. Um, so he's going to get that in Colorado. So it is really beneficial for him. Like I am by no means suggesting that he asked for a trade, but I do think that he, you know, as counterintuitive as it might sound for someone to be welcoming of leaving a World Series contender like the Blue Jays, like I do think he is going to appreciate his situation more, and I don't think that he loved the situation like the role that he was looking at for 2022 with the Blue Jays. Yeah, might have to make his uh, home run total an
0: over under as an honorary. Ooh, we um. should honorary uh, throwback yeah. even as a non-Blue jay, 34 and a half. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, Somewhere that's like that. Probably fair. I, I mean, I think that's a move that should help
1: the J. Let me ask you this too. Do you think that the Randall Gritchick deal that the Blue Jays, the extension, was that a mistake?
0: As with anything, it's like, what do you know at the time? At the time, they had nothing on the, almost nothing on the books. Like, almost nothing. And the hope was that he could be better than he ended up being i don't think it worked i don't think it was a mistake like i don't think it was a colossal mistake in the sense that if you have nothing on the books and you have a decent outfielder and yeah. you lock them in all right i mean that's fine i'm not going to hammer them for that but i don't think it really worked so i don't know if you would land
1: differently i don't think it worked as intended yeah. i think the blue jays thought he'd be better than he was yeah. for them um but i like I don't think it was a colossal mistake. I agree with you in that, like, it didn't stop them from doing anything. No. This front office is, you know, their worst moves, right? You think about, like, Tanner Roark. Kendrick Morales. Morales, Shuni Yamaguchi. It hasn't stopped them from doing anything. And it hasn't left them with these, like, albatross, like, Chris Davis situations. Like, they haven't really had anything like that. So, yeah, I, I, if I was grading it, I wouldn't give it a good grade. But I also, like, don't think that it was, like, a calamity if, if those yeah. two things can both be true, you know? Yeah. It gave them something. It
0: gave them something. And he was a part of a very good team in 2021
1: and a decent team in 2020. So, you know, that production helped them. And I think he brought some things behind the scenes, too, in terms of, you know, from a yeah. culture perspective, I think, in the clubhouse. I think that he was a strong leader for, you know, a lot of young guys, Bo Bichette and, and others, as they kind of graduated in the majors, He was a guy who's like, you would hear this from people, his effort level was like the most consistent of anyone's. No matter what like the scoreboard read, it's 12-0. If it's one one, if it's the first inning, it's ninth inning, it's a hot ass day in August. If it's the last week of the season and you're out of it, if it's you know opening day, like his effort level is just consistent in all facets of the game, right? Like running out ground balls, like, you know, first to third on a two-out fly ball that's going to be caught, you know, like those type of things the players can take off. He didn't take them off. So I do think that does matter a little bit, even though that's not something you're going to find on his Fangrass page. 100%. Now, I do want to get to Bo Bichette here. You wrote another
0: interesting piece about him. Um, hopefully, we get the chance to touch on some Roger Center renovations as well, because those are coming down the pipeline. But as we're kind of discussing the off-season aspect of this and Tapia and Grichuk and Matt Chapman, of course, their offseason seems to be wrapped up now. I mean, Jose Ramirez, I just don't see that happening right now. You see a report today on Saturday that could tell Marte is discussing an extension with the Diamondbacks. You know, make it that way you will. I didn't see that. Interesting. Yeah. I thought, you know, Jays fans, I thought that's the kind of news that um, could impact things. Whether that leads anywhere, who knows? So their team is probably mostly set. You know, they've got the roster in place. They made their big moves. Going into this offseason, they wanted to make the team better than the 91 win team. And Mark Shapiro, I believe, says that he thinks it is better. What do you think? Is it better than the team that ended last year? Is it better than the team that played for the entirety of 2021? How does it compare?
1: I think it's better with a full season of Jose Barrios. And if we can assume a full season of George Springer, Alec Manoa. And yeah, a full season of Alec Manoa. So, like, I don't know how, like, because, like, somebody inevitably is going to get hurt, right? Somebody's going to miss a few months. So, like, what the Blue Jays went through with Springer last year. Like, what are the odds everybody's just perfectly healthy the entire season? Like, somebody important's probably going to get hurt. And the thing with this roster is, like, pretty much everybody is, like, pretty good. So, you're losing a pretty good player. But uh, I do think they're better just because of those reasons. Like, will Matt Chapman finish third in MVP voting? Probably not, right? Like, that's pretty high standards. Kevin Gosman going to win the Cy Young Award? I mean, probably not, right? Pretty high standards. So, you know, those are the replacements, obviously, for Simeon and for Ray. And the standard to match them is, like, so unreachable. It's insane. But I think just full season Springer, full season Burrios, full season Manoa, those things are what, to me, pushes them above a 91-win projected team at this time. Yeah, I think they're going to win more than 91 games.
0: I think the team that ended last season was better than a 91-win team. They were a playoff team at the end of last year.
1: That's what I also should have mentioned. And a team that gets to play all of its home games in Toronto. I don't know how to quantify it, but there's a gain in wins from that reality. You know, we could see with uh, you know the news now that Aaron Judge will be
0: able to play in New York regardless of vaccination status. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just rides it out for those 10 games in Toronto. So maybe it does become a... Home field advantage for the Blue Jays, but
1: that's don't call it a competitive disadvantage for for the opponents. Just don't say that. We're not going there. Don't, We're not going there. You're at, you're down here now. Mark will find you. Don't say that. We're not going there. So
0: last year at the end of the season, they had a great team. They had a great team. It could have done a lot of damage if they got into the playoffs. Didn't happen. I think the team now is as good. I don't think it's necessarily better because they lost Semien and Ray. I think it's as good, and I think they're going to win more than ninety one games this year. I think they're going to win more like you know 93 to 95 but that's you know we we can pin down those projections later
1: like the bullpen's probably better to start the season two than was last year as much as one can even predict a bullpen like i'm even hesitant to say like the bullpen's good right who knows but i do think and also like having 28 roster spots will benefit this team in a pretty big way because like your 28th man that you're carrying isn't gonna be sam Gavilio or buddy boshears like it might be nate Pearson you know like it might be a really useful arm yeah like it's not you know, the know, the Blue Jays 40 man is like pretty deep I think we were talking about this last time around right like where they're, you know every time they make a 40 man decision now it is actually kind of difficult because these the players at the edges of their 40 are pretty good so that means that when you get 28 major league roster spots that extra player that you're bringing is a pretty good one yep. like it's a pretty good guy who could over a full season like put up a decent war so I think that benefits them as well. There is still room for power off the bench. I think
0: ideally lefty power off the bench. Like Tapia fills a nice role. I still Greg think. Greg Bird, baby. Yeah, maybe he is. And, right. and you know what? There's nothing wrong with letting Greg Bird have a roster spot for three weeks and see. And if it works for two months, great. And if it's still working in July, even better. But if not, okay, you trade for someone. You sign someone. Because those guys will be available. So I still think there's room for a lefty power bat. I still think there's room for more relief. Yimmy Garcia, all right, you know, we'll see, but I'm not totally sold that this bullpen is just done and set. But look, that's nitpicking. This team is really good.
1: Yeah. I like a bullpen's always a living, breathing thing throughout the year, anyway, right? Your option guys, calling guys up, you get surprises. Tim Meza was a surprise last year, right? Nobody expected him to be what he was. There will be a surprise this year. And there will be guys who come in off waivers. There will be little Simber and Richards trades along the way. Yep. You'll go pick up this year's Brad Hand and hope to do a lot better than he did. And this year's you know Joaquin Soria. And the bullpen will change throughout the year. So it's even hard to say, you know, to sit here right now and say, oh, this team's got a good bullpen. Like, we don't even know who's going to be in it in July. True. So it's hard to say. All right, so
0: as we said we got a lot more at the letters coming everyone's way we got some interviews plans so look forward to that but you know before we wrap up here there are a couple more things to touch on because
1: yeah it's been it's been pretty wild it's week here. buddy
0: it's been zoo yeah. week I'm uh,
1: curious as to how things are going to unfold so. oh no now that you're here it'll yeah. be just spring it'll training just dead down. zone yeah. dude I came in so ambitious like all these interesting ideas I wanted to do and all these like I said typical spring training stories I did a couple of them like, people could really raise my spirits by reading what I wrote about Kevin Gosman's blisters or, like, reading what I wrote about Yusei Kikuchi's adjustments. Yeah. Because <laughs> those things just got lost in the news cycle, but were, like, interesting stories to me. Um, but, yeah, I had, like, totally ambitious spring training goals, writing interesting stories about interesting players. And it's just been every day there's been, like, a big news story that has completely eliminated the possibility of doing that well you know the
0: more i think about it the more it really is kind of like the winter meetings and spring training at the same time and like that's just an absurd combination yeah you and shy have done some great work that's been great to see now who knows? Maybe it'll be quiet. Maybe I'll just be, you know, on the beach after. Uh, I doubt it. I think these spring training days are, you know, pretty long.
1: It's great. It's great to be here. We are. Uh, you always outside. get that comment, eh? When people hear you coming down, they're like, "Oh, oh. you must be kicking it at the beach." All that. Yeah. I haven't seen a beach, dude. I, yeah. I see a beach from my car <laughs> at seven twenty in the morning as I'm yeah. driving to the ballpark. And it's still dark. Yeah. That's what I see. This is long- close to the beach as I get. That's right. Very long days. I'm very happy to be here. You know, I can't speak for Art enough for the weekend. Oh, no, stoked after. to be here. Yeah. No, what I said in the last podcast yeah. was completely yeah. genuine. Like yeah. I love being here. This yeah. is the best, greatest assignment, and I do really like enjoy the work that I produce here. Even when it is about stuff, let me tee you up for your next topic. Yes. Like contract renewal. Exactly. Which yeah. is like I understand dry and heavy to a lot of people. But that was like a really interesting story to do and I was I was pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a different story.
0: So why don't you take us behind the scenes on this one as to how it came together? Because it's a it's not something you see with every player
1: every year. So I don't know, like is there an easy way to explain the like pre-arb contract renewal process? Essentially, when you're zero to three service time before you qualify for arbitration, uh, your team just unilaterally can decide what you earn. They could give you the minimum if they yep. wanted to, right? They could renew you at the minimum. Most teams have a formula or a system for how they sort of issue raises. If you haven't played in the big leagues, you're getting the minimum. If you're Hagen-Danner or whatever, you're getting the minimum, right? Like if you're that 40-man guy, you're getting the minimum. But if you're like in your second year, like Alec Manoa, if you're third, like Bo Bichette. You get a little bump and the Blue Jays have like a system, a formula for that and they've shared it with players. They've shared it with their representatives. I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it and it's basically based off of like, <laughs> there is an easy way to explain it. I want to do it quick and I won't, yeah. but like there's a little, you know, you get a little multiplier for Active service in prior seasons, minus IL time, by the way. You get a little multiplier for each, you know, plate appearance, and for pitchers, each innings pitched, which is based off of like a point system that's even more complicated, but is meant to like compensate for the way pitchers are used these days. Anyway, it's all to say you can basically, as a Blue Jays player, earn a maximum of a forty thousand dollar raise on the league minimum, plus awards bonuses. If you're an all-star or you qualify for, you know, you win, you know, a Cy Young or an MVP or something like that. Go read the piece. It's all in there. Shy report on this. It's all in there. Anyway, came to, as you said, during the offseason during the during the spring training, came to contract renewal time. And so the Blue Jays pre-arb class, it's like 13 players or something like that. All of them but two accepted what the formula produced right. for them, led by Jordan Romano, I think, who had the biggest one. They all accepted it. Um, except for Bo Bichette and Alcano. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure like when that was announced, I'm sure your eyebrow was raised. Yeah. My eyebrow was absolutely raised. Clearly Shiny was as well, because like he wrote about it. And then yeah, kind of, you know, caught word that Bo might have something to say about it. So went to talk to Bo about it, and he did have something to say about it. He said, I disagree with the formula yeah. that the Blue Jays use. Um, I don't think that's the way players should be valued. I think players bring more to the club than this formula is accounting for. I believe I'm an outlier. Paraphrasing, but essentially what Bo said. I believe I'm an outlier. Hard to argue with him when you he think- had an incredible season. Led the American League in hits. Um, I had the, the comp in my story. like Him and Arod are the only guys at his age who have had seasons like that as a shortstop. Like, very few players have had age 23 seasons. Very few players, period, forget just shortstops, period, have had age 23 seasons like Bo Bichette just had. It's pretty outlierish. And then you factor in the fact that, like, he is a face of this franchise. He is somebody that they sell tons of merchandise for. He is somebody that they market. He's in all their ads. Like, you know, he's on the Jumbotron. Like, he's on banners around the city. Like, there's some sort of a value to that, as well and then yeah you also layer in the fact like Bo Bichette knows what's going on yeah like Bo Bichette pretty involved in the you know the the CBA process over the offseason like asking a lot of questions knew what was going on obviously his old man knows what's going on like comes from a big league family like baseball is the family business so there's also that so by him saying what he said and Declining his renewal salary, thereby accepting another salary that's like twenty three thousand dollars less, He sent a pretty direct message to the Blue Jays about being, um, you know, pretty un- you know unhappy with the way he's been treated through this process. And he also indicated to them that I am going to be like, you know, I'm going to be fighting for my value every step of the way going forward. Yeah, and this
0: is where it's really interesting. And you get through this, the numbers and the you know the whole system. At the end of the day, bobochet said, no, I'm not taking that number knowing that it would lead to $23,000 less in this bank account. And for most people, that's a lot of money, even for Bobochet, You know, he's still not he still hasn't signed that first huge deal. You yeah. know, I'm sure he would like to have the $23,000, but more important than that was making a statement internally. And then he was very, you know, at least from what we saw in your piece, what you know, the public comments that he made, very guarded. He was not stepping over any lines. He was he was cautious and deliberate in what he was saying. But that was a $23,000
1: statement that he was making. Absolutely. And Alec Manoa made a $6,000 statement as well. And I think the idea is that you sacrifice a little bit of money now to potentially make more money down the line. Because look, Bo Bichette is going to qualify for arbitration next year. Alec Manoa We'll see. I'd imagine he'll be a Super 2. We'll see. Like, came up beginning of May, so he's got a pretty good chance to be a Super 2, so that would make him Arab eligible in two winters from now. (laughs) Looking like there's going to be negotiations on contracts to try to avoid arbitration. See how those go. I think Vladis was a pretty difficult negotiation, which ended up at $7.9 million for him in his first trip through. Very interesting position for him. This is a guy who could come pretty close to or surpass arbitration records if we go forward. But yeah, Bo Bichette's going to go through that process next year. You're going to have a negotiation there. And then if you go to a hearing, I mean, the club is going to have to make an argument. Bo is going to have to make an argument. And I think that from the player's perspective, you don't want to give the club any leverage of being able to say that this player has been very happy with what we right. have paid him. It's a small piece of leverage like and it's not a convincing argument because I think that just on like the surface it's very obvious that Bo and Alec Manoa are dramatically underpaid relative to their production but the club could make that argument that they were happy with what they paid them because they accepted those offers in an arbitration setting they could make that argument so as the player by not accepting that you do remove that very small shred of leverage from the club Florida men are being Florida men somewhere right now, I <laughs> oh. think. Well, let's hope everyone's okay. Um, what do you think about that? Well, okay. So here's what I was
0: going to say before the siren went past there is this. One way to avoid going to an arbitration hearing with Boba Chat is to sign him to an extension, like, next week. And Vlad Jr., too. Like, the the way around it is simple. We know what it would take to sign these guys, broadly.
1: Probably about nine figures, and the first figure is a three. Yeah. Right. Like massive amounts of money. Bobo like, he kinda laid his cards on the table last year
0: when some, I think might have been me. I think it was me who asked him about Fernando Tatis Jr. Tatis, yeah. and his extension. And he was like, Yeah, you know, Fernando's uh underpaid, but you know, it's still a good deal for him. And that's three hundred and forty million. And that was before Boba had the season that he did. So he knows the value of a star player and he knows that he is a star player. And so it's not going to come cheap. And same with flat. So that's fine. But This is prime time.
1: Last two weeks of spring. What did you make of it? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think it's a marker in the ground. You know, they're saying, look, like this is not the way that I value myself. And they're saying, I want to be treated fairly and I'm going to insist on being treated fairly. So if you just want to put your head down and play baseball and you're just ever so grateful to the owners of the game for letting you put a uniform on, then you probably just go out there and accept the renewal. But if you see your value... And the part that you bring and the part that you do that is different and better than other people, then, you know, you see guys like Bo and Alec Manoa doing what they did.
1: Well, and they're uniquely positioned to do it as well in that, you know, Bo, I think, grew up in a pretty privileged surrounding just because of his father, obviously, but then signed a $1.1 million bonus out of high school. And Alec Manoa, first round pick out of West Virginia, signed for four point something. It is, was his bonus at, I think, a number 11 in the draft, the slot around there, like around four, three, four and a half, something like that. So, to Alec Manoa, what's $6,000 when you got four mil in the bank? Right. So, I think, it, you know, when he had that discussion with his agent, I think it came down to I could take the $6,000 hit if this is going to be good for me in the future, if this is going to, you know, set me up correctly now you see it in i guess all walks of life probably but certainly within
0: the players association you see the guys who have made a ton of money are just more willing to gamble they're more willing to push it they're more willing to make a stand like that and that's where you know you look at the vote not to we're not going to pull everyone back into cba talks here but you look at who opposed accepting the current offer that's now in place and allowing for baseball to be happening it was the executive
1: subcommittee the guys who have already made tens or hundreds of millions it's like people who say, like, leave, you know, politics out of sports. Like, what do you mean? Politics is everything. People who say, leave the CBA out of baseball now that it's done. No, the CBA is everything. Yeah. Everything that happens in the CBA. So everything relates back to it. So people are like, oh, we don't want to talk about this anymore. You're talking about it always when you're talking about baseball at all times. You talk about rules. You're talking about the CBA. Even this podcast, right? We're
0: talking about DUIs, trades. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about uh, renovations. We're talking about pre-arb renewals. And like, oh, I mean, I'm. it's great to be talking baseball. It's great to be... You know, here in Florida and and actually on the scene of it. Well, I guess we talked about Tapia and his playing style, but there's, yeah, there's so many
1: layers to it. The other thing I want to say about, you know, Bichette say disagrees with the formula. Yeah, I kind of disagree with the formula too because who controls the levers that get pulled in that formula, right? The formula is based on, okay, what's your career active service time? Well, who decides when your service time begins as a player and who decides how much time you spend in the big leagues as a player? the team they decide when you're first promoted they decide they they hold options over you like they can chuck you on the il and you know the il time doesn't count towards service in the formula and then it's plate appearances for hitters well who decides how many plate appearances you get the team and then it's innings pitched for pitchers who decides how many innings pitched you get as a player? the team the team controls all of the aspects of the formula nothing in the formula about home runs Nothing in it about strikeouts, about ERA, right? As the player, the only way you can substantially control how much you get through the Blue Jays' formula is by being an all-star, which a fair number of players get to be, but not everybody gets to be an all-star. Or like MVP, Cy Young, which is like, okay, be one of... the literally the best players at the highest level of the game. Yeah. Right. So that's the only way you can control. And that's the a formula. recent
0: development too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, that's it's a pretty hard thing to do to win an MVP, win a Cy Young, be an all-star. It is now. Okay. Devil's advocate to that would be, this was collectively
0: bargained. This was not handed on. Not the, the Blue Jays formula was,
1: Oh, you mean the, the pre R situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's always the argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. So no, totally. And the other devil's advocate thing is the minimum salary this year is like 120k more than it was last year, or maybe a little bit more than that. Went 570
0: to 700, so 130.
1: But then also you can look at what's inflation been over the last five years. What have league revenues done over the last five years? What have minimum wages and other sports done over the last? Five years where baseball's minimum wage is now relative to other sports, right? Like, so that can cut the other direction as well, my friend. It certainly can, it certainly can. Arden wrote about this in depth at SportsNet. Check it out.
0: Another one of your uh daily uh pieces took a look at the plans for renovations at Rogers Center. So my understanding here correct me if i'm wrong on any of this because you were down here for the kind of whole discussion of it but 10 to 15 your extension on the kind of viability of roger center which is already you know
1: i think it's viable now yeah right it's, it's viable but it's not like we need to renovate this thing in two years or it's gonna collapse you know it's not the big o but yeah. um But, you know, by the end of that
0: 15-year window, it'll be almost 50 years old, you know, as a baseball facility. It's 39 years
1: old now, I think. 38, 39. It began in 1989. 32 or 3? Yeah. All right. Yes. Anyway, Ben, they're going to rip out the entire lower bowl. Yeah. Like rip it right out. Yeah. So people who have those seats that don't look at the home plate (laughs) are going to feel better. Yeah. You know, there's certain seats where folks are like looking at the outfield uh, just because the way it's configured. So that's good. They're going to rip out the lower bowl. They're going to make it, uh, in the words of Mark Shapiro, like feel like more of a ballpark than a stadium. I don't know what that entails yet. We're going to find out in May. They're going to do that. Um, They're going to open up the concourses. It's going to be a big one. It's mostly going to be lower bowl. You know, Spiro did say, like, we're going to touch every aspect of the stadium. But I think that the most dramatic things could be lower bowl. Another, like, really dramatic upgrade is going to be something the fans aren't going to see at all, which is player facilities. Right. Blue Jays want to kind of recreate what they have down here in Dunedin at the PDC, which is, like, freaking spectacular. Yeah. Like, I walked through it the other day, and it is, like unbelievable they're gonna to try to recreate that in toronto i don't know like from a spacing issue i feel like yeah. i don't know where they're gonna put all this stuff Not much right i think that that's gonna be huge for blue jays players and seasons so right now you think about it, you got this brand new player development complex which is like sick and you got your pitching lab and your hidden lab and your force plates and your you know hit tracks and all this stuff but like you only have access to it seven weeks a year yeah. Right. So if you get all that stuff in at Rogers Center, I think it's gonna be a big deal for players as well. I think the you know, they're gonna have a brand new clubhouse, It's gonna be a lot nicer, way better, you know, eating and dining facilities, all that eating and dining, as if those are different things. Uh but you know, they're gonna have way better like facilities, um, just for working out, for recovery, for preparation. I'm sure they'll get a beautiful new video room and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, you know, the Blue Jays feel that competitively there will be a benefit there as well to upgrading the player facilities. Yeah, for sure. So how much money is going into this? We don't know yet, but, I mean, just thinking about the scale, and we're, we'll find out in May, right, which is when this is all actually announced. But thinking about the scale, it's got to be over 100 mil. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, we don't know. But yeah, it's pretty, it's, you know, it might be like a Kevin Gosman or a George Springer contract, right? So, the but that's just, term, I'm just speculating. Of course. We don't know the financials. And you know, so, I mean, what what are materials going to cost at that time, right? Like what type of supply chain issues going to run into? Like you tried to do anything on your place lately, mm-hmm. like, and talk <laughs> to a contractor, like materials, man, yeah. that's stuff's expensive right now. That's uh... our producer almost know what I'm talking
0: about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, no. So that's going to be, you know, it's some large amount of money can't pinpoint it pending supply chain issues. It'll be a lot. And then after that, there's going to be still a push based on what Shapiro has said to create some other stadium yeah. based on what he's saying. So it's not that Roger Center is like this permanent home for the Blue
1: Jays for, you know, decades and decades. They still want to create another stadium. He would call it like a 10 to 15 year runway, yeah. quote unquote, to make a decision on what's next. And what's next is either like flattening the Rogers Center, which like, oh, my God, the environmental cost to that 10 to 15 more years of climate change. And we're going to dump all that concrete in the ocean is uh, like uh, breaking my heart right now, if that's where they go um, or and rebuild on the current footprint or do you move somewhere else? Yeah. Right. So I'd say those are the two options. But yeah, there's there will be a new stadium after this s- 15 to 17 year period, I guess, right? So it's gonna take them two years to do the renos. Yeah. So then and then you get 10 to 15 years out. I would assume they'll get 15 out of you're not gonna renovate this thing and then like eight years in, we're done with it. I think they're gonna get 15 years out of it. But I think with this one, it's just really tough to
0: say how long it's gonna last. Because I can imagine a scenario where great they get these approvals, but like you're saying with supply chain. You need city approvals, funding. It's got to all come together. And so, you know, Rogers Center could be their home for a long time. But
1: I think the hope would be that something would come together. They would be able to have a different home. I think part of the reason why this is happening, a new stadium was considered in this round of deliberations. It just became too big of a thing, the scale. It's not the sort of thing where, like... Uh, Mark Spiro can just be like, all right, Marnie Starr come in and, uh, you know, select two other sort of business leaders within the front office. This is your project. You're going to work on it. It's not like Buffalo, right? It's not like Salem Field. You know, it's not like updating TD Ballpark. is like, a massive, massive thing. It's a thing where you're going to have to hire people. It's like a thing where you're going to have like 15, 20 folks working on this for years. It's a really substantial project. So that's far down the line. I think the Blue Jays just kind of punted. Um, but look, it's good for fans that this new stadium is going to arrive. I think it's good for the Blue Jays' pocketbooks eventually. This year in general is going to be great for the Blue Jays' income-wise. Massively. On the heels of two years in which, like... I haven't seen the Blue Jays books, but where was the revenue coming from when you played like 80% of your games outside Toronto? And when you were in Toronto, you could only sell 15,000 tickets, except for those final like six games, a final homestand where you could sell 30,000, right? It's been 30 months since the Blue Jays had more than 30,000 people in their building. And they haven't played a lot of home games in that time. Might be more than thirty months when you think about the 2019 season. The income taps, the revenue taps, are about to open back up in a pretty substantial way. And then you think about the fact that the broadcaster is owned by the same company that owns the team. Blue Jays are pretty popular right now. Ratings going to be pretty good. Sell more ads, right? You make more revenue from the broadcast, more revenue from probably places like Sportsnet.ca, and you know, one hopes. (laughs) <laughs> that'd be nice uh you know and and then also like on top revenue streams like the blue jays are going to announce a partnership with like a gaming company soon as this becomes a thing yeah. in ontario and the blue jays are going to have a partnership with that it's going to be meaningful that's going to create revenues Blue jays are going to make a lot more money this year after this renovation which i promise you is going to add way more premium seating to the rogers center than there is now it always does If the Blue Jays are still good and still selling out all the time, they're going to be making way more money out of Rogers Center, generating way more revenue out of game day than they have in the past, even pre-pandemic, and that only is going to help sustain higher payrolls and more spending. So you want to be good, you typically have to spend, unless you're the Tampa Bay Rays, right? And the Blue Jays are spending. This year, they're going to have the highest payroll estimated by roster resource, but Looks like the highest payroll in franchise history, and those things they all connect. And for it's only sure. going to go up. Yeah, we, we talk about Bobichet, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. extensions. Yeah, nine figures starts at the three. Yeah, you know. It's no. George Springer's contract ain't going away. Kevin Gosman's isn't. And you're going to have to keep paying for more players through free agency. Teoscar Hernandez is going to keep getting more expensive in arbitration. If you don't sign Bo and Vlad long-term deals, those guys are going to get expensive in arbitration. Oh, yeah. Payroll's going to be pretty high for a pretty long time.
0: It has to it be as they go into this window. Um, all right, Arden, we've covered a lot of ground here. Now, is there anything I'm missing? Is yeah, there a- your
1: take on any <laughs> of that. <laughs> your opinion on anything to do with the renovation and how it fits into the grander Blue Jays' well, plans. Ultimately,
0: Rogers Center is not a building that's,
1: you know, they just missed
0: it. The timing-wise, like, if it had come into existence 10 years later, it would be a much more modern facility. You know, it would be more of that ballpark feel. The reality is it's a very, like, I'm sure everyone listening has watched tons of games there, probably been to a lot of games there. It's really functional, but it doesn't really bring you a lot of ambiance. I'm not convinced that this renovation is going to change that. I would love to be wrong. You know, I would love to be wrong and to see, you know, in two or three years time, Walk in there and just have this feeling that you're in Camden Yards or you're at, you know, t Park or whatever they're calling the one in San Francisco, you know?
1: It's never going to be that. It's not. It'll never be that. It's not. So that's completely unrealistic.
0: And so, you know, what they do is they kind of sustain what it is and they keep it viable
1: and it'll fundamentally still be Roger Center. I think it's not as bad as people feel like it is. And I feel like nobody has seen it full and rocking for a good team in a really long time. And I think that on opening night, People are going to be like, oh, yeah, this place ain't so bad. Like when it is full and the team's good and the game means something. Was anybody complaining about the frigging Sky Dome in 15 and 16? Right. I mean, I guess by
0: that definition, though, you could say the same thing about most ballparks. Right. Yeah. So if you have a full park and you have a good team, it's going to be a good but experience. But
1: there's not a lot of ballparks where you can create the kind of intensity and energy from the fans then at Rogers Center when you got like 46,000 people dude we were at those games in 15 and 16 people have forgotten like what it was like in the bat flip game oh yeah like what that atmosphere was like I could goosebumps thinking about it dude. oh yeah it was wild it's unbelievable the, the energy and atmosphere. physically shaking the like shot you, of Cole Hamels yeah. that's like this you, yeah. remember, you remember that one like <laughs> yeah. dude you know, like, people have just forgotten. It's been a long time, right? Yeah. Like, it's a recency-biased world. I think this year people will remember, like, oh, yeah, when this place is full, every candidate game, even when the team sucks, is great because it's full. It's July 1st. Usually it's a sunny day. Roof's open. Everybody's in a good mood. Edwin Encarnacion hits some meaningless home run. Everybody goes nuts. Like, I have always enjoyed watching baseball at
0: Rogers Center. There's definitely a place for it. It's very functional. And basically, I think that
1: this renovation will continue to keep it functional. It's not going to change the essence of it. It also fits into like what Mark Shapiro proposed seven years ago when he took over, seven years ago now, I guess. I don't know what day it is or who I am, but I think it was seven years ago. And it was like, look, we are going to modernize this franchise and this organization. It is going to start beneath the surface. He didn't say this. I'm saying this. Fans aren't going to see the first parts. And the first parts are going to be like, let's build out a development department and completely revolutionize the way we develop players in this organization. Let's build out high performance, right? And let's hire untold (laughs) amounts of strength and conditioning folks and pts and massage therapists and mental performance people and all of this right like look at those lists of high performance at each level of the minor leagues like they're so long they've hired so many people but fans don't get to see that type of stuff let's build out analytics right programmers and analysts fans don't see those folks even the player development complex here in Dunedin which is spectacular and up and running no fan is ever gonna get to step foot in there or like very seldom will. So fans don't get to like interact with that type of stuff. Yep. That was all part of the plan, right? It was layering all that stuff in, building out the farm system, right? Like getting a Bobachette, getting Alec Manoa, you know, when Alec Manoa was in Vancouver and Bobachette was in like Lansing with Jesse Goldberg Strassler, like people didn't see him and interact with those guys and didn't see them up close. Now fans are actually getting to like interact with the plan. Yeah. And see like it kind of coming together and you've had to be patient. And by the way, like a pandemic through a serious stick in the spokes and for two years Mark Spiro became like just pandemic manager of like where's my team going to play? How am I going to get players in and out of the country? Where are they going to live? What are the governmental restrictions? Like the plan did get delayed a little bit but it's now coming to fruition where you are seeing like hey there is $150 million in center field and there is a seven year extension on the mound opening day and the next day there's like $131 million free agent deal that Kevin Gosman signed hey there's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. developed internally at first base there's Bo Bichette one of the best second shortstops in the game at short developed internally via this development system via this drafting via this commitment to youth right like and via this commitment to a performance department as well that has helped him get the most out of his body improve dramatically at shortstop like this is all part of the plan Mark Spiro said all these things in 15 and 16 and 17 And I just don't think that fans could, like, see how they all worked in concert with each other and, like, what it all meant. And now you are. And the renovation is another part of that. Mark Shapiro's been talking about renovating Rogers Center forever. And that is part of increasing revenues in order to sustain the high payrolls and keep spending money on all those folks you don't see. Keep spending money on, like, at the PDC, the, you know, friggin' racks of protein powders and the big, like, rooms full of, you know nameless faceless nerds studying spreadsheets and you know all the the performance people who you'll see in the pdc who are in there helping players like continuing to spend money on all those things and payroll and development and like it it does all come in concert together and i think fans are starting to see it and ultimately the goal is for that all to produce championships it hasn't yet but blue jays are positioned pretty well to challenge for one this year
0: they certainly are yeah i think You know, when you look at uh, the roster, gray roster, and I think the end point as well of that process is the stadium too for a lot of fans, right? Because they make that trip in, whether it's just down the subway or they're, you know, coming in from out of town, that's the end point for them. So you want to make sure that is a really good place to be. The
1: idea of building a sustainable winner.
0: Like it is coming together Oh In no way yeah. I mean we could do a whole podcast series on that Maybe we should But I You know like In no way Write that down Almost yeah, that's. <laughs> Almost on. It's a great time for the Toronto Blue Jays It's Isn't a great it? time It is and it's also spring. And so, you know, there's so much more work to do. I
1: think that's what maybe if I I'm mean, if I'm like the not, pitching coach got arrested. But yeah. other than that, like it's pretty good time for the Blue yeah. Jays.
0: And, you know, he's one person in a big organization. And this is a serious thing. But, you know, to me, this franchise and, and we've said it, you know, in various forms, like to put it very concisely, like this franchise is on the rise. They're in a better positioned than almost everyone except for the Dodgers There's not a long list. Doesn't it sound like a mini Dodgers, kind of? Right? Whereas the
1: Dodgers will spend to like 250, 270, right? And like obviously their market's enormous, although I don't know. And
0: and the Dodgers have won a World Series and they've won eight consecutive NL West. So it's a different And Their development
1: system's more proven, as are their analysts, right? Like they're, you know, they're all, I bet you they have more robust resources. And they
0: have an iconic stadium that's beyond Rogers Center. Like it's. But don't,
1: don't the Blue Jays sound like a little bit, they're turning into a little bit of a mini Dodgers? They just haven't won yet. They are getting there. They're taking steps in that direction. They're taking meaningful steps in that direction. Because I don't think the Blue Jays are ever going to spend $200 million on payroll. But they might spend $180, $190. They might spend $200. They
0: might spend more. I mean, I don't know what the limits are. But I think unless there's anything more, I think we can leave it there. Um, it's been good talking some baseball oh poor Nick and Amal who had to put this together Nick and Amal thank you both for your help putting this together Nick Andrade Amal Delich here with us in Florida Arden and I shaking off the rust two years here um, since we recorded a podcast in person it's great to to, uh, to get one in the books and we will be back at you all very soon with more At The Letters